Well, we're, we're, we're talking about the Beatitudes, and we're, we're, we're out to verse 9 in Matthew 5 today. <clears throat> but I'm calling this the preface to Matthew 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, or part 2 of Blessed are the pure in heart. So we're somewhere between those two. And both of those Beatitudes are connected in very, very tightly. And so I, I, I felt the need to go back today as we, as, we, as we look at blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. I felt the need to go back to verse 8 and talk a little bit more about what it means to be pure in heart. So stay with me. We'll get to blessed are the peacemakers even at the end of our time today, hopefully. And then we'll, we'll do a part two as well with peacemakers. I once saw a picture of a, <clears throat> of a mom sitting in a playpen. And it was, it was related to an article on, on moms finding rest. Now, how many moms can relate to this? Moms of young kids. Mom was sitting in the playpen. Kids were all around the playpen on the outside and the, or the, and the disorder and the chaos that comes with having small children was evident in the whole picture. And there was mom. And the idea was that mom has to find her refuge and her peace someplace. So she climbed in the playpen and, and let whatever else go on out, outside. How does a young mom find a place of peace in the midst of a very busy and often unordered world? And then there's the student who faces the pressure of conforming to others day in and day out. Sometimes the, the pressure boils over into, into the humiliation of, of bullying. Sometimes a student faces the pressure of, of unending homework and impossible deadlines day in and day out. Where does a student find peace in the midst of a stressful day-to-day life? And in the seasons of marriage, a couple may come across times of tension and even strife in their relationship. And sometimes the season goes from simply a few hours to a few days to a few weeks and sometimes to months and even years. And try as they may, peace seems an elusive dream. How does a marriage find peace? How does a marriage maintain peace in the midst of a very trying season? So we could go on painting scenarios that depict the the uncertainty and the, and the struggles of life. So whether you're young or old, or whether you're married or single, whether you're a parent or whether you're longing for children, whether you're in the working place, the workplace, or, or, or wondering where your next job will come from, we all find ourselves longing for peace. We long for a place of refuge, a place of assurance, and a place of stability in our lives. On a grander scale, peace in our world seems all the more elusive. California is literally burning. The loss of property and life just leaves us speechless. I, I heard a story last night from someone who survived the fire. And it left my wife Sandy and I just with no words to speak listening to that story. Cultural issues leave us grappling for direction and responses. We don't know how to respond to cultural issues. We not only see wars being waged, but, but the potential for conflict, the potential even for global conf- conflict, seems to be growing as we speak. 
We could go on with protests on campuses, protests in front of churches, even blocking our streets and our freeways. Fear and uncertainty seems to lurk behind every headline. Brothers and sisters, if we don't have an answer for peace, we'll get lost in the tension of the world. If we don't have a refuge, if we don't have a way to unwind, a way to give this all over to the Lord, we'll be overcome by the weight of the world, we'll be overcome by the weight of our circumstances, the tension in our life. And in the midst of all this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. In the midst of all of this, let's, let's turn there. We, we know it by heart, but let's, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. In the midst of all of this uncertainty, in the midst of all of this longing for peace, Jesus calls us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, he says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. To be a daughter or a son of the Lord, we need to hear, we need to be those who trade daily in the blessing and confidence of his peace. That's what he's calling to. We need to, to bathe daily in the assurance of his peace, and it needs to spill over into the world that's around us. They need to see this peace that Jesus Christ offers us. And our calling, brothers and sisters, is that of being peacemakers, bringing peace, the only peace, the peace of Jesus Christ to the world around us, wherever we go. So how's that for a challenge today? So you ready to dive in? Let's look at it. Let's look at it. So let's go back and let's look at the heart. As I, as I mentioned earlier, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, let me read it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We need to go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, and we need to look at what it means to be pure in heart, for they shall see God. These two Beatitudes are so closely linked together that I, I felt like we needed to go back and, and shore up this idea of a pure heart. You cannot be a peacemaker unless you have nailed down this issue of peace in your own heart, in your own life. So last week we talked about this purity of heart. We, we did the first part of this and, and we, we, we dug into the topic and we learned that of, of course it means to confess our sins. Of course it means to recognize those things that are unholy, those things that are ungodly in our lives. And as the Apostle Paul says, as he reminds us, this struggle with sin is part of the tension in our lives and until we get to heaven. The old man, the new man, the, the flesh and the spirit will always be at war within us. So when we recognize something that doesn't belong to God, we need to give it over. We need to confess it. A pure heart is one that is practiced in the art of confession and receiving God's complete forgiveness and abundant life. Learning to deal with sin, learning to confess our sin, is all a part of the rhythm of our faith. The daily rhythm, the hourly rhythm, sometimes minute to minute. We also saw last week as we looked at this topic that, that the, the, the pure heart is a heart that is undivided. Its passion, its loyalty, its focus is given over entirely to the Lord. A pure heart is the center of our being where nothing opposed to the Lord belongs. The heart is the center of our being. 
That includes everything from overt sin to our attitudes, to our motives, to forgiveness or unforgiveness, and and to uh, the relationships around us and how we're handling them, hopefully in a godly way. Everything that goes on in our heart works out in those areas. It's all a part of what goes on in our heart. So a pure heart is one that is undivided, one that is, that is focused exclusively on Jesus Christ. So what makes for an impure or a divided heart? Last week, we looked at anything that wouldn't belong in the future moment. If you remember this, we talked about the fact that when we stand before the Lord on that day, and I believe it's coming soon, Martha already talked about it this morning. This, the Lord is coming soon. And we talked about the idea that in a blink of an eye, in the moment, we will all be standing before the Lord, those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And the question is, what will I bring to that moment? Anything that doesn't belong to him, anything that I don't want to have around me in that moment needs to be put over, needs to be done away with. That's why we're here. That's why we're preparing ourselves. That's, that's why we as a ministry exi- exist, is to prepare our hearts, to prepare our lives for that moment when we stand before the Lord, to learn how to walk in faith, to learn how to confess these things, to give them over, so that none of this garbage goes with us into heaven, which I know it won't anyway. It's just my way of making a point. We want to live for all that God has for us. I'm reminded of the, the t-shirt that talks about end of life at that moment when, the, when your last breath comes. You want to be able to say, I, how, did, how, does it, how does it go? I want, to, I, want to, I want to run all the bases as hard as I can and I want to slide into home base as, as fast as I can and dirt and dust flying all over and I want to say, wow, that was really something. That's how we want to come before the Lord. And that means you've got to put it over. That means you've got, you got to get rid of the stuff that doesn't belong to him. That means we come to him with a, an undivided heart. And that also means that we need to look at the attitudes that we carry with us. Obstinate attitudes. Maybe impure motives. Or, or maybe we cling to people or to possessions in such a way that they become idols. We need to examine everything. A brutal, honest assessment of our lives. Anything that doesn't belong to God needs to go. So let's look closer at that. It's, it's easy to look at the obvious issues that's, that stain our lives, that stain our hearts. What we're often not so good at is examining the shadows of our heart. You see, it's in the, resor- in the recesses, or as, as one author puts it, in the folds of our heart where these things reside. Did, should I say that again? It's in the recesses, it's in the shadows, it's in the folds of our heart where these things reside. So what resides in these hidden places? I've come up with my own list. Maybe you can add some to this. One of the main things that resides in in the folds of our heart is hidden fear. You see, many of the secret thoughts in our hearts, many of those things that that don't belong to God are, are based on fear. A fear that something bad is going to happen. Fear that finances won't be there when you need them. Fear that someone's going to find out something about you. Fear, fear, fear. And for some of us, this fear has a, has a death grip on us. Has a strong grip on us. And it can lock us up. 
And those fears like to live in the recesses of our heart. And they don't come out very often, but when they do, they rise up and grip our hearts. Do they not? Somebody, somebody nod their heads. Okay. Hidden sin. It's, here's, here's the difficulty. You see, we, we tend to think that time covers up the foolish things that we've done. Time seems to go, to make things just go away. If it happened so long ago, then I, I don't need to deal with it. And maybe time has taken away the harm that it might have caused at the time. But in the recesses of our heart, there can reside, even after many years, the fear of being found out. The fear of the consequences of my poor choices. Fear. It might be a relationship that you didn't handle well. It might be a habit that you thought was well kept. Nobody knew about it. When I think about these things, I think about the, the recent advent of the Me Too movement. And I think that brought about all kinds of, these kinds of issues to the surface. How many of us sat home and read the headlines or heard the headlines on television and in all these stories about the Me Too movement and, and how many of us sat there and said, hmm, I hope the news cameras don't come to my house. You see, that's the hidden sin that lives in the recesses of our heart. We thought they were safely tucked away, but at the most subtle moments, they come rushing to the surface. Hidden sin will not stay hidden. Hidden guilt. So in tandem with hidden sin, guilt loves to hang around in the dark corners of our heart. So, and when it comes to the surface, it comes with a powerful message of guilt. You're guilty. You're unworthy. Shame on you. All of those things come to the surface with guilt. And we know that God wants to take this away. We know that God doesn't want us to live with this. But, but there it is, the guilt and the shame. Listen to this. Even keep us from discussing it with God. So deep into the recesses of our heart. I don't even want to talk about it with God. I know better. We know better. We like to keep it tucked in. And I won't go into it, but then there's hidden unforgiveness in our hearts. This is one of the major issues in, in most of our lives is unforgiveness. And we know the message. We know that God says we are to forgive. God calls us to forgive. And I'm, I'm here to tell you this morning that, that forgiveness is, is hard, hard work. So I, I don't want to convey the message that just, just forgive and it'll be done and it'll all come out of the dark recesses of your heart. You're all done. Sin is something that takes a long time. Or forgiveness is a long time process. It's a determination. It's an intentional leaning into Jesus Christ for the process of forgiveness. Until you make that decision, until you decide, Lord, I'm going, to, I'm going to bring this thing out of the dark places, out of the folds of my heart, and we're going to lay it on the table, and I'm going to deal with this unforgiveness, and I know that it's difficult, and I, but I know that you have a way for me, and I will lean into you for it. For it. Until you make that decision, that unforgiveness is going to reside in the folds of your heart. 
and it's going to come up to bite you from time to time. I'll tell a little story. I wasn't going to do this, and this always gets me in trouble. You know, I went to Romania a couple weeks ago. By the way, we're going to do a report on the Romania trip and the, and the Houston trip on December 2nd. So two weeks from today, we'll be hearing testimonies from those missions trips. I have a guy. Okay? Everybody has a guy, right? I have a guy that ran me over a number of years ago. Lots of years ago. I'll tell you what, I have worked on this unforgiveness thing and I'm really proud of myself because I did it. I forgave him. All those fights I had with him every morning in the shower where I, where I verbally beat him up every morning, it's all gone. I worked really hard at forgiveness. It's all done. The good news is that I don't live close to him so I haven't had to deal with him. Okay, I haven't had to test my forgiveness. But in my mind, I've got a 10 going for forgiveness. Then I go to the airport. Caleb and I are walking through the airport together. Caleb goes off to, to do something, to buy something. I don't know, I'm sitting there by myself. I look across the gate, and there he is. At least I think that's him. I pretended it wasn't. I got on the airplane, and if you know Captain Airport, I was the first one on the airplane. And I wasn't sure if that was him until he walked by in the other aisle across the airplane. And he said something to somebody, and I thought, that's his voice. That's him. And you know, in that moment, you know what I realized? Some of those recesses in my heart aren't cleaned out. I sat there for eight hours and wondered if I should go talk to him or not. I didn't. I didn't. You were looking for a better answer than that, weren't you? But you see, I think, I think every one of us has a story like that. And I think when we talk about forgiveness, unforgiveness in the recesses of our heart, we need to take care of it. We need to take care of it. The last thing on my list, and maybe you'll add more, more items to this list, but I put down hidden failures. Things that we wish we would have done differently, wish that we would have done better. Maybe they're regrets, but I'm thinking they're more failures. When I knew what God had for me and I didn't do it. When I knew that, that I should have done this, I should have done that, the Lord very clearly told me I should have done that, or maybe I look back on it years later and I say, you know what? I wish I could go back there and do that different. Sometimes that's hiding out in the recesses of our hearts. We could make a longer list of those things that reside in the folds of our heart. We all deal with it. We all suffer from the same condition. Here's the catch. You just don't realize that we all suffer from it, that we all, that we all deal with these similar issues because 
you refuse to confess it to God or to someone else. And therefore, you've, you've done this little game in your own mind and you've been able to push these things back down into the folds of your heart. And so you don't think anybody else deals with these things. That's a lie from Satan. Those of us of Northern European descent really struggle with this. I was going to make a Norwegian joke here because I, I, I be one. But I think it's Northern European. We don't, we don't like to surface things in the depths of our hearts because, well, we're just not willing to enter into it. But whether you're Northern European or whatever nationality you are, you're a human and you deal with these issues. It's true for all of us. Confessing our sin or surfacing a fear, a hurt, or an issue so that it can be laid at the foot of the cross for many of us is a bridge too far. We can't bring ourselves to this kind of transparency with ourselves, with others, or with God. But God has another way for us. He doesn't leave us to, uh, to wallow in the dark folds of our heart. Jesus instructs his disciples in the kingdom way, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. It's an extremely high standard, but it has an amazing promise attached to it. But for most of us, we don't know how to clean out the dark shadows of our heart. We're not practiced in it. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. I'd like to walk you through a few verses from, the, from, from John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Let's, let's stop here for just a minute. I've, I've read this verse often, but today when I look at this idea of pure, purity of heart, it, it seems to jump off the page. You see, verse 19, by this we shall know you see, coming to God is often the difficult first step. In our confession, in our, our identity, it, it's often challenged. We doubt. We know there's something between us and God. And John reassures us that we can, that we must know the truth of God. You can know that you are operating in truth, and we can reassure our hearts did you hear that? We can reassure our hearts because what happens when we're, when we're dealing with these dark recesses of our heart? The first thing we're saying is, I, I don't know if God loves me anymore. I don't know if I can, if I can lay this out before God. I don't, I don't know if he can handle this. I don't know. And John says, no. You need to know the truth of God. And when you know the truth of God, what can you do? You can reassure your heart. You can stop the spinning. You can stop that ugly voice that comes from the depths of your heart and that says you're worthless, your, your, your shame is too, good, too great. You can get that ugly voice and you can, John says, you can reassure your heart. You see those, a friend recently told me about a family member 
and he was, this family member was struggling with panic attacks and with, with very, very dark thoughts. <clears throat> and as he described what was happening, he said that whenever, whenever, whenever this person in, in our family sinks into this, this state, it's always accompanied by what if this and what if that and, and you said this and you said that and I don't know about this and I don't know about that. You see, it's always, it's always uncertainty and fear that accompanies the dark hearts. But John says, we are to know the truth and we to reassure our hearts before him. John says that our hearts can be reassured by God. Verse 20, when it happens, when our hearts are overwhelmed with sin, with guilt or with shame, we need to know that God is bigger than our hearts. Our spinning, our guilt, our uncertainty is no match for God. He knows everything. We don't surprise him. We don't make him gasp and amazing. God doesn't sit on his throne when we, when we wheel out these things from the dark recesses of our heart. This secret that I've kept for so long, this, 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 this lie that I've been fostering in the recesses of my heart, I'm just hoping it goes away. God doesn't, if I bring it before God, he doesn't go, <gasps> you what? How could you? And in my case, it's the old line, you call yourself a pastor. God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Let's, look, let's keep going. Verse 21. Now, he, now John changed his course. This is the, the, he goes from the heart that condemns to a heart that does not condemn, and he says, Beloved, you loved ones, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So we contrast a, a condemning heart with a heart that doesn't condemn. We come to God in confidence. We come to God because he hears our prayers. He answers our prayers. Not only does he answer our prayers, but he blesses us. And all this is due to the fact that we walk in obedience to him and we do what is pleasing to him. So what is the commandment? What is the obedience that he calls us to? Verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. What's the commandment? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, John is concerned that his readers, First John is, is all about knowing God and knowing his truth. And God, John is... All through his letter, he's, saying, he's repeating the phrase, and I, I challenge you in your study, just go ahead and underline the word know. Every time it appears in John, you'll see. John just wants us to know who Jesus Christ is. And so he talks about all kinds of different aspects of that, but, but here in this passage, he's just simply calling us to believe in Jesus, to believe in the Son of God, to believe in the Redeemer. You see, when I come to him with a bruised heart, with an impure heart, and with the dark secrets of my heart, do I believe that he's my redeemer? Do I believe that he's my Lord? Do I believe that he's the one who loves me unconditionally and can make my heart pure? Do you believe this? When Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus, he, he said the same thing. I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? The other part of the commandment, in fact, 
like two commandments, but it's actually just one seamless command. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and love one another. If we believe in Jesus, if we believe that he purifies our heart and, and our conscience, then we will love others through the same lens. You see, loving others goes together with, with faith in Jesus Christ. So I believe that this process, this, 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 this commandment that we're talking about here is, gives us eyes of faith to see. Jesus had promised that those who are pure in heart will see God. What an amazing, amazing promise. So let's go back to our original question. Do you long for the sense of peace that God promises in your life? Or do you sense that there's an obstacle in your heart? Do you sense that, yes, in the, in the recesses of my heart, there is something that needs to be dealt with? Is there, is, is there something in the folds of your heart that needs to be brought out and be surfaced? Then call to mind the words of John. If you come to God with a heart that condemns, you need to know that God is bigger than that heart. You need to know that he already knows. And he's just waiting for you to take that step of obedience. In fact, in, the, in, the, in verse 9, the, in, the, in the first chapter, verse 9 of 1 John, he says, he says, he gives us the way for us to, to, re, to relieve these sins from our heart. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There it is. There is God dealing with the things that are in our hearts. There is God cleansing our hearts. There is God giving us a pure heart. There is God moving us into an abundant life. There it is right there. And so John says in chapter 3, when you come to God with a heart that, is, that, is, that has some condemnation in it, when it's impure, when you come to God, know that you can reassure your heart that God knows and that God is faithful. You see, it's a simple rhythm that God calls us to agree with him, believe in him, receive his forgiveness, and know that he is about the business of purifying your heart, of cleansing your conscience. When that rhythm becomes part of our lives, we'll see God in ways that we, we never saw him before. We'll have eyes to see him at work in us because, because we've watched it over and over again. We've seen this rhythm, this pattern. We see him work in us. We see him work through us. We'll develop eyes of faith. And in that way, we'll see God Today, now, with hearts that are cleansed and purified, we'll walk in obedience, we'll grow in our obedience, we'll grow in our love for him, we'll see God. It's, brothers and sisters, this is all why we're starting Celebrate Recovery here at Valley Free Church. Because we want you to be adept at this process of giving over the things that don't belong to God. Our, our step group now is entering into the phase where you... you you peel back the folds of your heart and you start to write down, you start to journal those things that need to be brought before God. The assessment's not easy. But can you see from the gospel of Jesus Christ that a pure heart stands on the other side of that decision? That, that wholeness comes and that, that you will see God? You see the promises of the gospel in this? And then we go to Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemaker. You see, when that peace rules our hearts, the natural response is to want that for everyone else. It's no wonder that this next beatitude concerns that of peacemaking. When this kind of purity, this transformation of heart and resulting peace is ours, it'll spill over into the lives of others. We'll be known as peacemakers. But we'll have to save that for the next time. Amen. On your way rejoicing.